Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is the 16th of June, 2021, and it is time, everybody, for Morning Combat. I think it's like episode 168, something like that. Hello there, everyone. Sorry I was out Monday, but we are back. My name is Luke Thomas, and you know this gentleman on the other side of the screen. He is my CBS Sports brethren. We don't have matching Versace robes, but we are, I don't know, brothers of some kind, I suppose. It's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. How are you? Luke, I sh can I go full disclosure here for the first time publicly? Please. I, I put my Versace robe in the dryer. <laughs> it's a little tight now. It's a little tight on me. And that's not, has nothing to do with my black liver. It's a little tight on me at the moment. But uh, why, you know, why you make did you do that? You, you make mistakes with, with expensive gifts, and you know that's what happens. But uh, happy, to, yeah. happy to be back. Happy that you're back, Luke. Yes. Today is my beautiful wife's 30-something uh, birthday. So uh, <laughs> shout out to her. I love her. Thank you very much for getting my back. Uh, Luke, you're my editorial wife, so uh, you're back yes. as well. So what a yeah. day, Luke. What a, what a time yes. to be alive. Lots of wives bossing you around, or at least trying to, anyway, <laughs> as you resist. <laughs> there, may, there may be some truths to that statement. Hold Indeed, on. Before, but... we go any, before we go any further, let's wrap this up very quickly. I want to see Brian's sign today, because Brian's got a not just a new lease on life, but a new outlook. Look yeah. at that. Skinny yeah. liver scission. Explain that, B.C., well, you know, after I was diagnosed with the fatty liver, Luke, I did have to take uh, take hold of my life, right? I'm the captain now, uh, failing organs, right? So that means no more gas stations, no more fast food, no more fried bullshit, all right? BC, back on the horse. I've been running. I've been lifting, all right? I, I had Randy the Natural Couture on Morning Combat this morning, and you know what I asked him, Luke? Mm. How to stay fit in your 40s, all right? I'm seeking out the experts. I'm going after it. Okay, if MK is going to make it to the moon, Luke, I'm going to have to be there with it. Okay, bro. All right. So let's take life seriously. Let's do this thing. You know, keep Luke, keep me honest. Okay, keep seriously. All right. Be my accountability partner, you old bitch. Let's do this thing. Okay. All right, bro. I'm down. I'm down. So uh, glad to hear it. Glad to hear things are going well. Happy to be back. Missed you on Monday, but I saw the show with Rashad. You guys did a great job. Of course, that plus the Couture interview and a whole lot more is going to be uh, on He's the great, YouTube channel. He's great, Luke. Rashad's great. He's like the 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 third brother we never had. I mean, I love that man. His analysis is just always sneaky good. I mean, even if he's like he gets the prediction wrong or something, there's always a little nugget of truth. And more often than not, he usually gets the broader themes correct. I thought some of his analysis about what happened in the, uh, the, the 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 main event from 263 was really just on the money. Um, all right, so let's remind everyone: uh, like the video, thumbs up on it. Hit the subscribe button. We have now crossed, BC, the 90K threshold on subs. We are barreling down into the home stretch to get to our first of many goals, but our first goal being 100K subscribers here on YouTube. By the way, we're having a record month already in June, so thanks to everyone who's here. Thanks to everyone who's been along for the ride. Whether you get it on the podcast, whether you get it on YouTube, everyone behind the scenes is very, very thankful for what the kind of stuff we've been doing. What's up, BC? You know, in line with what you're talking about on our growing numbers and also my growing health, Luke, you know there's certain fictitious folk heroes that have been real for short seasons. Sea um, level Kane, mm. uh, Motivated BJ, uh, <laughs> TRT Belfort. Uh, clean liver BC is a, is a beast and animal that the, uh, that the combat sports uh, journalism world has never seen before. You want, you want MK to get to 100K? You want BC to tattoo this shit on his skin? Uh, Luke, you got a partner that's about to find out how great he can be in life. Okay, so it's coming. 
You, you, you know, I mean, you're going to come on? Come on already. Come All right, on. I'm coming. Bro, I'm coming, okay? Uh, we're going to do a ton of fight previews today, at least in terms of storylines. We, we always do X's and O's on Fridays, but in terms of storylines, we got a bunch going on. There are fights on Showtime, at least in the boxing side, uh, coming up soon. So we want you to subscribe. How do you do that? You go to Showtime.com. You can sign up for a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If you like the fight, stick around. If not, you can bounce, but you get a whole month to try it. Go to Showtime.com to kick that off. Uh, if you want to email the show, either for fan submissions or for Friday's Dead Wrong, where we got things wrong, Morning Combat, and of course, gmail.com. And BC, pains me to bring it up every time, but it is the reality. We do have merch. It's on the Showtime website, but it's still merch really? 1.0. Still, it's good quality. Can't say it's not good quality. It's good quality, but you can go to store.show.com. Any update on merch 2.0? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Normally when you make promises and don't come through in business, people come looking for you. Uh, apparently the merch guy's just sitting with his feet up going, yeah, we'll get around to it. No, no in all serious uh, hiccups that were unfortunate, they say soon, Luke, but nobody wants to hear that. Nobody even cares anymore, Luke. Why should they care, okay? What have we, we've just, we, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what are we doing here? You, you know? I get you. All right. So we got a bunch of stuff to get to today. We will do fan submissions at the end, but let's start with some topics, BC, now that we're back. First things first, let's start with GSP, still making news. It's kind of interesting. He did an, uh, an interview with a magazine recently, some kind of wealth magazine, and he, in there, talked about some of the money that he made, both at the low end and at the high end, and then how he navigated the space in between. Let me hit you with some highlights, BC, and I want to see what you make of this. First of all, in his debut against Carl Parisian, he made three to show, three to win. I think this was all the way back in 2003 or four. So, you know, uh, money has certainly gone up since then, but not a princely sum to do that. He made 9K in his fight with Matt Hughes. That was the first fight. He had lost that one, but it was a title fight. Then he made, he says, around 10 million for the Michael Bisping fight, which I think happened in, what, 2017 or so, something like that? Yeah, but that obviously takes into account gate, pay-per-views, sponsorships, the full package. Right. So to, to be clear about that, what I wanted to point out was that if you look at the data from the fighter lawsuit where they have everything in a certain time frame, but it goes up to and not past... 2016, the highest recorded payout. I know fans don't want to believe this because they've been led to believe a series of lies and exaggerations, but the evidence is all there. It's 100% verifiable. The biggest payout through 2016 for any individual fighter was around $7.5 million. So if, if he's telling the truth, that means proportionally, not so much percentage-wise, but proportionally, BC, it has gone up. But here's what he says, and this is where I want you to get you to react. There is no union in the fight game, St. Pierre says. Other organizations wanted me to have as their poster boy, and UFC knew that. So like a poker bluff, we said, we don't want to re-sign before the John Fitch fight. We want to just finish the contract. We took a big risk because it's like a stock market. Your stock might go up if you're uh, successful, but it can also go down if you lose. But that's what we decided to do. I took a gamble, and then the day before the fight with Fitch, the UFC came back with a big, crazy contract because they didn't want me to become a free agent. <coughs> there are, last thing, there are lots of people buried in the desert for much less than what I made for that fight, my friend. St. Pierre wrote about the Michael Bisping fight. Uh, again, sponsorship, pay-per-views and all that, I made around $10 million. Then in 2019, I got out. I'm very lucky and very privileged that I finished on top. The reality is most fighters finish broke and broken. They hang there too long. They get brain damage. They go broke. Your reaction, BC? 
Uh, I got two major reactions. The first one is, that, as you can see by the details of this interview, and if it's all true, I have no reason to believe it's not, GSP's not your average bear. He's a smart guy. I mean, I, I was promoting just a few minutes ago the fact that I did chat with Randy Couture today. You can catch it later today on Morning Combat. Not just a preview PFL, but also talked a lot about the current labor situation, Ali Act, all that. Couture, Luke, as we all know, was a pioneer at knowing his own rights, being willing to walk away, not just from the negotiation table, but from the promotion and leave the title there to get what he wants. It seems that GSP is certainly much more of the Captain America ilk than necessarily of the unfortunate where we are at with most fighters, where they don't know their value, where they are willing to take whatever in the breadcrumbs and chase the carrot to get ahead. This is GSP revealing that him willing to go the distance on his contract and maybe walk away ahead of the fish fight gave him the money he was looking for and the leverage. Obviously, he also walked away at his own powers in 2013, took a long mini-retirement, came back on his own terms, made superstar money against Bisping, and then again, Luke, double-crossed on the promotion again by going back on the promise that he would defend the middleweight title if he won it. My second biggest point, into, on the first point, Many people are just not as smart or as clever or were in a spot to use the leverage they accrued than GSP. Special athlete, special businessman. Hold on, burp season right here. Woo, let it out. My second thing, Luke, is uh, this is not Friday's dead wrong, but you may have to take a little bit of an L here, Luke. The people came after my DMs to remind me of that great debate you and I had about UFC's revealed payouts in court and me saying, look, Luke, it behooves the UFC to give huge bonuses to the 1% to keep them super happy so they don't ever join up and form a gang and try to unionize. And you argued that that would be, um, you know, it wouldn't behoove them to, to not tell the full truth. And you brought up the court documents and you all that. Look, this confirms it. The 1% become the 1% because they're, they're willing to deal with the small payouts in the paydays to climb the ladder and actually get to that level where they're a champion and they're in a draw knowing that they finally get taken care of. Because UFC has done such a great, ridiculous job rewarding that 1%, guys don't team up and join arms and start unions. This kind of confirms that, don't you think? I mean, you may look in that, those documents that you saw through 2016 and try to assume how much Conor McGregor or anyone made in their biggest fights. It's always more than that, Luke. UFC wants to keep it secretive. They don't want fighters to talk and know what each other made. Even Rashad in story time has told us so BC, in let, me see if I let me see if I understand your oh, argument. Your argument on, is me, that... Okay, if I could finish first, Luke, okay? Yeah, but you're asking, but you asked a question. Right you asked here, a question. Right? You asked a question. Is your argument that under penalty of law, the UFC purposely and illegally withheld evidence that would only strengthen their case to appease people on the internet to prove that there actually is more money than what they disclosed yes. under penalty I, I, of I'm law? I'm not saying That's under penalty of law. I'm saying to them it's bonuses. To them it's, it's discretionary bonuses right, under but that's that all category. Recorded. But really that's all recorded. All of it is recorded. Yeah, like, I, don't know, I, I don't understand why this is ever debatable. Guys, it, you can go and see for it yourself. You do not need to take my word. Go look. Luke, it's there wrong, to see. Though. I'm not against you, but you were wrong. I mean, Rashad's been on story time. When you cut me off, I was going to tell you, he made something like 19000 for his first pay-per-view main event against Tito Ortiz. But then when he beat Chuck Liddell in the back room... They gave him a hundred thousand dollars. They, you know what I mean? Like they, they do these That's things recorded. to the elite. That's all recorded. That's not. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It's all recorded. There's a ledger for all of this.
I don't know. Then Again, why don't, guys, then, then just why go didn't it look. come up through 2016, Luke? Well, you know what I'm saying? The 1% has always made more. That's what prevents them from unionizing, Luke. Yes. And this proves that. Yes. Uh, on your last part, I'll agree with you. For sure, right? If if you have a set of stars and those are the ones that move the needle, your your St. Pierre's, your, you know, your John Joneses, I think, would qualify for that top 1% as well. Whoever you want to put in there, BC, your Connors and Rondas and whoever else. Does it make sense to pay them a lot more than the rest of the rank and file and to structure deals in such a way that, you know, you use their celebrity and their drawing power to, you know, give them more money, right? Pay-per-view buys are where the big money comes in. In fact, St. Pierre says that explicitly. So if you give them more money, does that uh, dampen the possibility of any kind of union forming because the people most uh, capable of affecting change don't really need it, so to speak, because they get handsomely rewarded. Sure, that is absolutely true. I'm just trying to tell you, people keep thinking there's this pretend money that's hidden that doesn't show up on the ledger, and I'm telling you that it does. You do not need to take my word for it. You can go check. Please, I encourage everyone, okay, so go Luke, look. Okay, so you tell me GSP's $10 million showed up on the ledger there? I don't think so. They that, don't want that this take, Well, hold on. This couple things. He says with the gate and pay-per-view and sponsorships. I have no idea what he got in terms of those things. He says it's around $10 million. Again, we know from a pay-per-view standpoint that the top they ever paid out was seven and a half million. There may be other bonuses that bumped it up to eight or something else like yeah. that. There's um, a lot of other bonuses, a lot of them, right? But they're all on the ledger too. I'm talking about the pay-per-view check. Still, uh, this is past that window. So again, when the UFC makes more money, proportionally the fighters make more money, but it doesn't change that eighteen to twenty percent ratio. So we right, don't but actually the crux have the of our argument, Luke is that you're trying to say it would never behoove the UFC to hide this number from public record. It would be illegal. That, I mean, beyond just not behooving them, it would be against the law. They have to turn in evidence. They can't withhold it. And by the way, sure. what incentive would they have to withhold it? They're being sued for not paying enough. Your incentive is to prove, motherfucker, we pay a lot. They, they, it's in their interest to prove that if, in it's fact, actually it's actually not. It's in their interest to continue a longstanding tradition that they pay little so that fighters don't have documented proof to argue in a court of law that other guys got more. It's in their interest. Why isn't Zufa arguing that? Why isn't Zufa saying, no, no, there's a lot more here that we just don't account for? Because they don't want a track record of it, Luke. They give it out as like handshake bonuses. They don't want a track record of it. They want people to be happy and not tell them not tell their co-workers they want gsp going over to uh john jones and bj pan or whoever and say well you know they did they did slide me an extra you know i mean cormier remember he came out that time talking about that extra million they slid him mm-hmm. you know it doesn't make the press luke it doesn't make the court documents it for makes the ledgers it makes all the ledgers all of it is accounted for you guys want to think that this is that they, they they draw money out of the atm they don't record it and they just give it to a fighter and they write it off like oh business yeah. expense but that's yeah. not what goes into fighter pay that that's okay. not how any look, of this I don't works have proof i'm not going on a court of law record but if you're going to be naive and think that that's the case Luke you're kidding yourself okay okay one more time here are two competing visions one vision is they got sued in a in a a lawsuit so serious that if the plaintiffs won it would change the business in such a way that potentially it would be unrecognizable and could be an existential crisis for UFC that is one possibility and so as a consequence of this lawsuit from two high-powered firms The argument is they have denied or cooked the books to show they pay less for a suit where they're being accused of not paying enough versus taking a fighter's word for it with no evidence. Sorry, guys. I'm going to go with the one where there's actually evidence. And again, it is publicly available. Why would a fighter come out and admit it? 
Why would a fighter, especially with no no prominent second life as an MMA fighter, unless you get into coaching or broadcasting, why would a fighter try to out themselves from the UFC machine by coming out and saying, "No, UFC actually paid me this much," you know, behind the scenes? Like, dude, it's it's all like, I mean, you. So let's let's. Uh, I don't know what he made in sponsorship or or the gate on that, right? So that was a that was an MSG. Those MSG gates. I don't remember what it was for this one, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think the gate for the first Connor Eddie fight there, right? That first time they went to MSG. I think that gate was like 18, 20 million, something insane, right? So it was less than that. I think it was close to like nine or ten. He got a chunk of that. I don't know what he made in sponsorships beyond Reebok. I mean, who the hell knows what the whole situation is with that. But let's say they paid him close to $8 million, which is what we knew from just a couple of years before they paid out. Yeah, you can get close to $10 million that way. That's not in any way kind of crazy. Again, guys, I'm perfectly willing to believe whatever you want. You just need to show me evidence. And fighters just saying it out loud, that's not evidence hey, Luke, of anything. Luke, whether we're talking about the actual presence of a deity or whether we're talking about conspiracies, Luke... You can't live your life saying, show me the proof or I'm never going to believe it. That's exactly what you can do. That's absolutely what you can do. Okay, then you're going to live naive and miss out on the great things in life. Dude, naive is taking taking people's word for it, not looking at the evidence. If you look at the evidence and you want to take someone's word for it and you want to come back to me and say I've done the homework, we can have a conversation about that. But I think Luke, do I have evidence it, that, that JFK's killing was not on the up and up? Do I have evidence of that, Luke? Dude, listen. I, listen, have, let me ask you a question. Do I believe we'll it? On, hold on, BC, because we got to get to 1,000 topics. Let me just ask one question. Have you ever uh, been on jury duty at all at any point? Yes, of course. Okay, so I, I, DC, I'm in jury duty all the fucking time. It's a nightmare. But one of the things, if you ever sat in a trial or just a, you know as an observer or whatever, in my case, jury duty, I'd never really seen one before, every lawsuit and case starts out the same. They establish the set of facts. Right now, what those facts mean, the plaintiffs and the defendants have different interpretations. Yeah, look, of I, it. I get how the law system works, but you got to answer this key question: no, Why would finished. a fighter now, raise now, now their I hand? Get a Hold on, now I get say, a chance. And BC, say, now hey, I get judge, a, I'm sorry, UFC actually paid me more. Why would they do that? They would never do that. Dude, BC, you're not in any way challenging anything in that lawsuit. St. Pierre's 10 million figure, if in fact it is at all true, and until he provides corroborating evidence, it's just an interesting thing that he said. Uh, number one, you can still get there with the old math. That, that's not in any way like hard to do. And more to the point, this is what I'm trying to explain. When you go to one of these lawsuits, what they do is the plaintiffs and the defendants agree on a set of facts. And it's all the available evidence. And in the case of the UFC, if they don't turn in the money that everyone claims that they pay out and they lose this case, dude, it would be an existential fucking failure for them. The incentive to turn that in, aside from any uh, compulsory law that might be there, is their fucking livelihood. It's just fantasy that people want to invent who have not looked at the evidence. Okay, Everyone then wants how to say, I'm going to take think- the... It's easy. So- it's easy to listen to St. Pierre say he made $10 million. It's hard to go through court documents, but the facts are what the facts are. Luke, they don't want a tra- they don't want a paper trail of this. It behooves UFC to not yeah. have a paper trail of this. Yeah, Luke. but they but they're a pub- they're they're owned by now a publicly traded company. This is not some mom and pop shop that can just cook the books for Pablo Escobar. Okay, so, so do you really believe that Conor McGregor's 2015 through 16, do you really believe he was actually only making three or four million per fight? Do you really believe that? No, there were two fights in a row he made seven and a half million. So he had two fights, no, he Luke, made 15 He made though. 25 to 30 million. You've got to wake up and realize this, Luke. He really didn't. He didn't. No, he really freaking did, Luke. He I mean, didn't. come on, bro. <laughs> he didn't. Sorry, he didn't.
Do you know how much they did like 1.6 million pay-per-view buys in the yep. Diaz rematch? You're telling me Connor walked home in 2016 in that fight with five million. Get the Seven fuck out of here, bro. Seven and a half. Get out of here. Get out of yeah. here, dude. So yeah. when he so says, your, I so made your evidence, your evidence against- for your evidence for him getting more is the suspicion that a company of this size is illegally cooking the books and that Connor's bragging is evidence. This is your argument. Without evidence? Yes, I am, Luke. I mean, come on, bro, come on. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, that's just a really flimsy way to evaluate truth claims. I, I I can't do with that. I, I just can't. I don't think okay, anybody we'll see. who takes we'll this see, issue Luke. seriously but, can. Hey, hey, put put a put a pin in this one, Luke. Okay, down the road, we'll okay. see. We'll okay. see. We'll be okay. we'll be coming back to this a few times in the history I'm sure of the we show, will. Luke. The, All right. Just, just as a reminder, the one on area. The, you willing the to put area. your damn beard on the line, Luke? Okay, you willing to step up? Yes, of course. Hundred percent. Yes. If uh, I could prove to you that Conor McGregor made more than five million for the Nate Diaz rematch, you'll shave your beard. If you've got evidence of these claims, I, I think you have a hard time understanding what constitutes evidence. But if you've got actual evidence, sure, because you would have something that they don't. The plaintiffs don't have. Boy, they would love to see that information, wouldn't they? That'd be awesome. Luke, I, look, I've had conversations with the Great Lord. I don't have documented proof that it happened. It happened, Luke. Okay? Right. Happened. Right. That, that should be a moment of pause for you. All right. Let's uh, let's move on moment now to breakthrough moment of change, Luke. You know what I'm saying? Moment of, of glory. Uh, fine, whatever makes you happy. Let's talk about this. Rory McDonald is back in the PFL and BC. I don't remember where you were on this one before, but I'll tell you where I was. I thought McDonald was not going to look great. I thought he was going to go in there in his debut, his last fight out. I know it was post pandemic and he had a long layoff, but I thought, man, this is just going to go. I don't know if poorly is the word. He was fighting Curtis Millinder, who's a good striker. I don't know. I just wasn't impressed with the way things ended for him in Bellator. But sure enough, he goes into PFL, and dude, he looked exactly like the old self, or at least pretty goddamn close. Now he is back, I think tomorrow, if memory serves, and he takes on at PFL whatever number this is. He's taking on Gleason Tebow at PFL 5. Tebow coming in off a loss to this contest. He fought against Joao Zeferino, who folks don't know as a long time. World Series of Fighting mainstay. Uh, so he lost that one, but it wasn't terrible. It was a decision. Where are you on Rory McDonald? What what is the what is his goal is to win the whole tournament? But like, what does he need to do here against a guy who is maybe overmatched? Is that fair? Yeah, I mean he should win this one. Two names, right, that we remember for, from their UFC glory. But Gleason Tebow even in his late 30s, is in stupidly good shape, and he was competitive in that loss. We know the PFL is this regular season format where a loss doesn't knock you out of this tournament. You're still in it. But the the whole key for Thursday night's card, it's uh, ESPN2, 9 p.m., I believe, Luke, is uh, Eastern time is the start here. Uh, Rory feels like he's back, Luke, in every sense of the form, from his interviews, which they they tend to be key in this this topic because Rory's Bellator run – uh, since leaving UFC as a big free agent was was so up or down or hit or miss. And a big part of that obviously was the internal battle he felt, which played out in that John Fitch fight, which was a draw and it was boring. And we saw a passive Rory who afterwards in that famous post-fight interview, you know, brought up his faith in his uh, dedication to Jesus Christ and sort of how he had uh, reservations with being the same violent self that we came to know him in UFCs, particularly in that incredible Robbie Lawler fight. 
I think that he has found whatever sense of peace he has needed to because, to your point, he just did not look the same. Yes, he beat Douglas Lima in the first fight, which was a five-round sort of technical thriller, but even in that rematch, Luke, which turned out to be Rory's last Bellator fight in the welterweight World Grand Prix uh, final, it just wasn't him, man. You know, he's trying to point fight. He's not really stepping on the gas. He's just sort of going through the motions in a lot of ways. Against Curtis Millinder, he just was as close as he can be to the old guy as we've seen. And that's key here because we know he's technically great, but the key for Rory is his willingness to get in there and fight when he has to, when things get tough. Now, granted, Millinder didn't put him in in peril or hell to bring that out of him, but I think when you take all into account the dedication of moving his camp from California to Florida and moving his family and just finding a new, fresh start, new organization, it does seem like this is... If not the old Rory, the best of what's left of Rory. And it still seems to be a lot. This is a fight he should win against Gleason Tebow. But Luke, what I'm super excited about is if he can advance on and get to the finals, Ray Cooper III, the defending champion at welterweight from last season for PFL, he'll be in the co-main event on Thursday night against Nikolai Alexakin. Cooper is on a hot run right now. That is the fight to make in this division. They both need to advance and keep winning and I don't understand fully the season format. Do they have to fight in the regular season, or will they only meet in the playoffs? I don't even fully understand. All I know is that this Thursday night show is being marketed as sort of the final playoff push. Uh, Rory seems back, Luke, and I think that fight against Ray Cooper, if they get there, is going to be special. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It may not be the best, Rory, but it's definitely the best of what's still there. I really like the way you put that. My understanding is the top four in each weight class – are the ones who move into the playoff season, to your point. So right now, to, you, you nailed it. Ray Cooper third and Rory are tied for first. They both have six points. Joao Zeferino had a win, but he didn't get it as early uh, or as spectacularly, so he gets three points. And then Nikolay Alexin uh, gets one point. I'm not sure what happened. Or Alexin, uh, Alek Sakin, excuse me. He gets one point. I'm not sure what his situation is. But I'll say this for, for, for Rory McDonald. You know, Gleason Tebow is a little bit tougher of an opponent than... Curtis Milner. Curtis Milner's a better striker, but the deficiencies that he has in terms of the grappling and everything else, they're pretty noteworthy. And obviously, uh, Roy McDonald's able to take advantage of that. Gleason Tebow, as we know, pretty decent takedown defense, kind of sturdy. So it's going to test Roy McDonald in a slightly different way. So we'll get to see, was that just a favorable matchup? Or are some of the things we saw in that first fight, he looked lively, vicious, uh, focused, in, in form. Do those things carry over to tomorrow night? If they do, I mean, I kind of thought he may have been a shoe-in, but like if he does that against those guys, Ray Cooper III, I agree with you, different beast, but you beat two guys like he would, at that point, what he would have done in the way that he has to do it, I, I got to say, very, very impressive. And again, dude, this is PFL's best season. Sometimes you get lucky with signings, sometimes you don't. Bellator had what they wanted with Rory, and he moved on. But PFL looks like they might be getting something special out of him or, that a lot of us didn't see, and you, and you got to love it. He's part of why this PFL season, to me, BC, feels a lot different. It does. It, you know, and I talk again to plug the Randy interview. We talked a lot about that. And he, you know, Couture thought... Part of why this season just feels different, it's not just the increase of more, let's say, more recognizable names to the casual fan, 
but there's been like an upset spirit throughout here. You know, the guys that you thought coming in might be the face of this. A lot of those guys from Anthony Pettis to Fabricio Verdum, they've lost early on. So it's been interesting. Juan Zeferino, as you mentioned, is going to be on this ESPN Plus uh, preliminary undercard, which begins at 530, I think, on the plus against Jason Ponette. Are you moved by the preliminary main event on Thursday night's card? Uh, Shoe face Antonio Carlos Jr. against Vinia Magalhães. Yeah, Vinny Magalhães, longtime UFC vet, has fought in a million places, one of the few guys to beat Gordon Ryan in submission grappling, although I think that was like, that may have been Gordon's last loss or something. It's been a while, but certainly, you know, Vinny on the ground is just absolute dynamite. Um, And then we know Shoeface is certainly uh, extremely good on the ground as well. I just wonder how much of that will cancel out and they wind up having... A striking fest on the feet, which Shoeface should have the edge, but Vinny still very capable of making it, um, I think, kind of fun. But yeah, big, big fight for Shoeface. And also, Tom Lawler against Jordan Young. Jordan Young was a guy who was undefeated in UFC, went to PFL, kind of stumbled a little bit, but was, I think, an All-American wrestler for a time. Tom Lawler at light heavyweight, the guy that, you know, USADA tried to just ruin his fucking life and his career. Yeah. He's back on this card. I'm I, I'm curious to see how that one goes as well. And don't lose sight of Megamed, Megamed Karamov taking on Curtis Millinder. That should be another one that is uh, it, that delivers quite well. Yeah, there's some good fights on this card. Correct me if I'm wrong on history, but Vinny Magalhaes never met a submission that he wasn't willing to hold on to past the point of, of good faith. So I'm, I would love to see him get you in some kind of submission and then... As you tap out, he doesn't let go, and he forces you to admit that UFC 202, Diaz McGregor 2, that Connor made much freaking more than five million. Well, bro. as they've more. as they've learned over time, sadly, uh, trying to do interrogation with torture doesn't yield the most accurate information. Although I think it's a little unfair. He's held some stuff, I think, but he's not. You know, I don't consider him a dirty guy. He's not like a Husamor Palhares, where you're just like, oh, dude, you don't that's even who know. I was thinking of. All right, yeah. I'll take the dead wrong L. I was okay. thinking of Palhares. I confused the two. Uh, not, you know, all Brazilians do not look alike. Luke, that's on me. Okay. Okay. He's he's done some cool shit though, but um, that should be a, a, a super super fun fight. So as you indicated, tomorrow ESPN Plus main card, ESPN sorry ESPN Plus prelim card, ESPN two main card. All right, we got a bunch of fight announcements for things in the future, BC. I'm just going to go down the list, and let's see what you make of them. Ready? Here we go. This one is supposed to happen a billion times, and it's not going to happen. These are all kind of out of order. I'm going to have a, I have a different order here on my piece of paper, so I'll just go in the order that I have. Tisha Torres taking on Angela Hill 2, set for August 7th. Impossible to dislike, right? Love it, love it, love it. Askar Askarov versus Alex Perez, set for UFC Vegas 33, which will be July 31st. Askarov might get a title shot if he wins this, maybe? So I wanted to ask you about that. You know, in the the runoff of Brandon Moreno's uh, upset of Davison Figueredo to become champion, I I loved the Moreno-Askarov first fight, and I believe it was a draw, Luke. It was -hmm. was insane action. I kind of feel like I'm ready for Moreno-Askarov now. Even though Askarov-Alex Perez has a lot of potential to be fun, uh, do you feel like uh, we need to go through with these motions? Well, I mean, here's the thing about Askarov. He's undefeated, right? He's undefeated. He's got one draw, but he's, he, has a, he has no losses. And he beat Benavidez at UFC 259. He beat Pantoja, who also beat Brandon Moreno in the fight before that. And it's like your fight with Moreno was a split. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen against Perez. And maybe, like, people always want that fight to be the one that launches you. In other words... If you get a title shot, you have to beat like the number one guy to get it. I don't know if Perez is that guy in that sense, 
But if he wins, he's 15-0 and 0 in his whole career. He'll have had five UFC fights at that point. He had won four. The only one that would be unresolved, BC, would be the draw against Moreno. I, you know, I don't know if they great. want Askarov as a champ, but you got to do that one again, man. That fight was great. I think we can see that right now. Some people did uh, hit me up on the Twitters and say they think that Brandon Royville should be next against Moreno, but he just stopped him in uh, yes. last November. So uh, yes. those people are wrong too, all right? All right, how about this? Marlon, this is a poor Marlon, man. It's just out of the frying pan into the fire with this guy. Marlon Marais taking on Marab Davalashvili. This is set for you, or reported anyway, Ooh. for UFC 266, September 25th. Here's the good news, BC. Davalashvili is not the hardest puncher, but that dude's motor is just, its you've never seen anything like it. He's got CrossFit Games winning motor. It's, un, it's insane. Yeah, he's, he's straight out of the Schmesh factory with that, only he mixes in the uh, the Long Island MMA culture uh, going on over there, and he's on a great run. You feel like, is this like, unless Marlon Moraes can change the script in a dramatic way, Luke, and this is what he's going to have to do. This is the selling point of this fight. I mean, this, this could be just another loss against an elite name, one after another after another. This is a surprising fall. I mean, this is almost a Baron Barrow-like fall at the moment, Luke. I mean, we, you know, the the fight hasn't happened yet, but it's like, dude, Devalishvili is hard to hurt and will just constantly press into you. Marais, you know, kind of gassed a little bit against um, Henry Cejudo. Granted, different fight, different way in which Henry was doing things, but still, it wasn't like he had an amazing motor for that one. It's like, dude, whatever Devalishvili lacks in terms of, like, sophistication and smoothness of technique, he more than makes up for with aggression, energy, constant motion and just constantly de- like pressing into you that's a really tough fight for anyone that's a really tough fight for Marais coming off of that Sanhagen loss dude this is a uh, he's in a tough spot man he's don't in a forget Marais lost to Rob Font too after that Luke yes, he lost God, three Jesus. of four yes. and the only win was the questionable split decision to Aldo although I did believe Marais had won that but still it's, it's a tough run here all against elite all against elite competition we'll give him that regard yes. but he is 33 Luke and it don't get no easier at that age in these small divisions. All right, so this is the one that's on my radar. I fucking love this fight. I think it's so great. The winner is going to move into a serious position in their career. Vicente Luque versus Michael Chiesa, set for UFC 265, August 7th, BC. Here we have two guys who have ascended, not quite to the top of welterweight, but whoever wins this is going to put themselves in that next top three, top five, maybe kind of space where you don't get a title shot from this, but this is the this is the the winner of this true or false BC the winner of this moves into the very 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 deep end of the pool. Oh hell yeah! I mean, as Jim Lampley awkwardly said on commentary during Manny Pacquiao versus Joshua Clotty, bang bang, 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 bang bang, <laughs> try and stop me. <laughs> Bang, bang. Um, And while this isn't, you know, it may not have the potential to be a standing brawl because the style contrast is great, these are two guys peaking and streaking, and you want to find out if Luque is of that ilk. And I think a lot of people realize that Kiesa is starting to look like a dark horse welterweight title challenger. So love this fight. Um, I mean, you know, good God, UFC's just giving us what we want, Luke, time after time, right? They're having a good summer. I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. What I, it, do you feel like that? Do you feel like those 2016 vibes when they were heading into the sale and every card was loaded and all the fights you dreamed of just keep happening, bang after another? I mean, 
Pretty not Dang, not bro. quite, but pretty close. I mean, for folks who forget, 2016, Ronda or Connor fought every quarter. So yeah. at least one every quarter you got a Ronda or a Connor, mostly Connor. But still, dude, that's fucking insane. Every three months you're getting a one or almost two million pay per view buy fight. That's nuts. That's fucking nuts. Um, all right, Andre Feely taking on Daniel Pineda, UFC Vegas 30, June 26. That's coming right up. That's a tough fight for Pineda. Yeah, that's fine. That's that's good. This one I like, but I just don't know where he's going to go from here. Curtis Blades taking on Jairzinho Rosenstrike, targeted for UFC 266. Now, BC, this fight makes sense in terms of like where Blades and Rosenstrike kind of are on the rankings chart, but it like Blades, he's lost twice to Francis. He just lost to Lewis. It's a nice win that if he gets, but he's still, you know, it just gets him back to where he was basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you. It, the heavyweight uh, top 10, even though the heavyweight's as sexy at the top as it's been in a while, and particularly with the threat of John Jones getting in there soon, uh, you know, you look at the tail end of that top 10, Luke, you got to struggle putting together names. I mean, I think I've I've voted in our CBS Sports uh, MMA rankings. I think I put Chris Dawkins at number 10 the other day, and I'm like, okay, mm. this is we're, we're at a new <laughs> we're at a new level here for the UFC top 10. So with that, what I say by that is you're never going to fall out too far. Blades keeps... Blades is almost on like a Biz Pingian type run where it's like he puts together two, three wins and looks great and looks ready almost for a title shot, but then loses that key fight that he's got to get past. It just so happens that it's Ben Francis a couple times and now uh, Lewis in this one. But good matchmaking in a lot of ways here, Luke, okay? Can Rosenstruck deal with that uh, rinse and repeat wrestling style? Or is Blades going to be like, man, I got to make a statement. I got to stand and trade like I did against JDS and others. You know, it's going to be fun to see. The guy who's like, I don't care if you boo me, I'm wrestling. He ain't going to stand and trade with Rosenstrike. Uh, all right, so we have two call-outs. One I think is actually super interesting. One, not so much. Let's start with the one that's not so much. I would love to see the fight, but Nate's just never going to take it, given some of his options. Dan Hooker wants to fight Nate Diaz. Fun fight, BC. Does, does Nate Diaz yeah, take that? I, I don't see how he takes that. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think this is a good time to kind of talk about what's next. For Nate, or what should be next coming out of the the loss to Leon Edwards, where you know you did it, you did your analysis in the uh, in the IA right after for MK. I talked to Rashad on Monday. You know he may have saved face right by by that late round flurry. For sure, I, I don't I don't think it fully erased what we saw in the first four and a half rounds. Other people are like, no man, fight forever. That's Nate. You know he wins the street fight, but. It's interesting. They asked Nate at the press conference afterwards, would he be interested in like a Demian Maya type? You know send-off fight, you know, styles make fights, all that. He's, you know, he doesn't hate the idea. Luke, if he's not going to get Connor or Jorge next, and really, he's not. Let's be honest. He's probably not, right? It doesn't really make sense right now. What do you think should be next for Nate? Should it be match him against another fun old guy? Should it be, a, you know, a guy in the middle, so to speak, who who's not? I mean, what, what, what do they do with him? What should think, he be doing? Dude, I don't think Nate, Nate will just sit out longer if he has to, right? Like, he, he's going to get bullied into or pressured into or whatever the word may be to taking fights against good fighter. I mean, Dan Hooker's a very good fighter uh, and yeah, a fun a one on top him. of that. But, like, he doesn't have a pay-per-view name. Why the fuck would Nate Diaz... I mean, it doesn't match any of his goals or ambitions or the way he sees himself or anything. Like, I would love to see it, but... So what's Nate going to do? If they don't give him those options, and I'm trying to think of another one that would make sense, and nothing... I got maybe, it. I got it. Who, who I, Dustin? I got it. Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a one you could do. I think maybe he would take that. I don't think that's crazy at all. 
But like absent that, I don't know what he does except just take more time off. Given the love that both Diaz and Ferguson have received of late, you know, that OG just like, we've always loved you, but now we're just going to show it. Now we're just going to love on you. It, that could be a, an event, you know? I mean, do you put that as like a, a giant pay-per-view co-main, Luke, and just go five gross rounds? I mean, what do you do with that? Here's, here's another question for you. Does Nate Diaz try and take a boxing exhibition bout? He wasn't against it when they brought it up to him. You know, he did say nice things about the Paul brothers, and he he's not against it. I, I think that he's a dark horse uh, that no one's talking about to enter that fray, meaning if Jake Paul beats Tyron Woodley... And Jake Paul tweeted exciting... about him. What? Jake Paul tweeted about him. He said, after I, I knock out Tyron, I'm knocking out Nate. I don't I don't think people talk about this enough that Nate is kind of, Nick too, perfect for this genre. 100%. The crossover celebrity boxing genre. Perfect. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Again, you don't have to like that. You don't have to think, you don't have to watch that. You don't have to endorse it. You can speak out against it. Whatever all you guys want to do out there to the idea of Nate and Nick Diaz being these kind of boxing exhibition guys, these are guys who have talked about training boxing long before the rest of MMA caught up with it. They have crossover appeal, which is super important. They're not just MMA stars. John Jones is, is some crossover, but he's mostly an MMA star. The, Nate, the, the Diaz brothers are not. The only holdup, as we all know, would be whether or not the UFC wants to play ball. I tend to think they probably wouldn't, but possible and then last but not least bc i actually like well, this on, fight a lot i got i got a real quick one for you okay it won't happen because there there's too many stars on this to be in one card but what if logan boxed nick and jake boxed nate on the <laughs> same pay-per-view could that <laughs> could that sell two million buys luke yeah but here's the difference i think nate would i'm sorry i think uh nick would body him like nick you know nick's a big dude relative to floyd anyway um Dude, that you know what? That's your pro wrestling hat on, and I gotta say, BC, it's not it's it's not stupid. It's definitely not stupid, dude. That would dude, that would make stupid money. The Paul versus do, the Diaz. I mean, look, okay. I told people that I thought Floyd and Logan could do two million pay per view buys. Everybody laughed at me. Turns out I was wrong, right? The reports were that it did around, definitely around one million. million yeah. Did somewhere over. That's fine. Okay, I was wrong. Um, I thought more. Logan fans would buy into that. But, dude, that fight, I don't think you're crazy to say it could do stupid. That, that card, sorry, that card could do stupid numbers. Stupid, dude, oh, stupid. I, dude, that's a, that's a funny suggestion. And I got to say, that's so dumb, it's brilliant. It's, that's actually yeah. fucking brilliant. Uh, all right, last but not least, from the call-outs, BC, I love this one. I would love to see it. He called them all kinds of bad names. Paulo Costa wants Marvin Vittori. Now, I don't know what Marvin wants after that five-round loss, but I got to say, forget about where they are and all that bullshit, which I, I realize is you know important to the conversation, but just for a second. Marvin's on one side of the cage, BC. Paulo's on the other. Who doesn't want to see what happens after Dude. they say, are you ready, are you ready? That, to me, Dude, has Mar just fireworks written all over it. Marvin wants it, too, and you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when Paulo Costa and Romero touched gloves and you knew in that bat shit crazy opening round, that five minutes of just unreal back and forth, you knew that both had made a decision, Luke, that I'm just going for it. That's what these two would do. And that's sometimes what happens when you have guys that are so explosive and in their prime that they can get to the super elite levels and and, and contend for a title, and both these guys did that. They both got into Adesanya fights and, and found out 
that they weren't good enough. They weren't uh, adaptable or versatile or creative or skilled enough to get to that upper, upper, upper level. And again, I, I certainly believe Adesanya is a special sort of generational champion, so it's a harder hill to climb. But when you match those Lions back against each other, you get fights like Costa Romero. You know what I mean? You get these just stupidly amazing, barbaric, freaking wars. Yeah, please, inject this right into my ball sack right now, Luke. In <laughs> fact, you can, I'll let you do three three times. You want to go three times? You want to recreate the worst day of my life, Luke, three times, Okay. I don't want to be near your ball sack if it's not clothed. And even then, I don't want to be near it. All right. Uh, let's do this. Next on the list of topics, we have a fight coming up on Juneteenth. Jamal Charlo is back, taking on Juan Macias Montiel. Macias, I should say. Uh, we're asking about storylines here, BC. Now, I did some digging in this because, like you, I was there for the Charlo doubleheader. We saw Jamal, Char Jamal Charlo face off against Sergei Derevyanchenko, and I think both of us walked away thinking that was fucking impressive by Charlo. You know, that was a tough guy in Derevyanchenko, but he was in the end, in the end, he was overmatched. I thought Charlo had the right intensity for that fight. I thought he was the technically superior guy. There were, you know, a couple of issues in the fight. No fight is, is perfect, but in general, I thought that was finally Charlo really ascending. To that point, BC, I have the rankings for 160 pounds in front of me. These are ESPNs. You can quibble with where they go. But this is about what that division looks like. Charlo is sitting at one. Triple G at two. Demetrius Andre at three. Ryota Murata at tied for four with Jaime Munguia. Eubank Jr. after that. Dervianchenko after that. Rob Brandt. Uh, Esquiva Falcao. And then Janabek Alem. I can't pronounce this fucker's name. All right. So that's who, after beating Dervianchenko, you thought it'd be someone in that space. But instead, he's taken on this. I got to say, BC, Montiel has 22 wins all by way of knockout. He got this fight, as you know, for the fans who don't, he got this fight probably because he surprised Kirkland. I think they wanted to do the Kirkland fight in like an all-Houston affair. And then this guy played spoiler by just beating the brakes off of Kirkland. Okay, fine. Well, Kirkland was washed. We knew he was washed. Let's That's not, fine. You know, he, there, but I don't, no but, but, the, but the odds were, I looked at the odds pre-fight. They were very, very close. So, like, it's an upset, technically, that Montiel won. But you knew that, like, Kirkland was kind of on his last legs and Montiel just finished him off. But here's my point, BC. I actually have a lot of respect for Jamal Charlo. I, I thought that performance he put in on the doubleheader was really maybe... I know his brother got the win over Rosario, but I thought that of, the, of the two, that was the tougher fight. And I thought he's shown more. And I don't know why he's taking this fight, but Montiel isn't ranked in the top 10 anywhere I can find. If Charlo, to me, BC, wants to get the respect that I think he deserves and that he claims he deserves... Maybe there's a business reason he's taking this. I don't know. I'll tell you. But you're not going to get it taking fights like this. You're not. You're not in a lot of ways. Now, this is Saturday night in Houston on Showtime. Uh, championship Boxing returns, and it's a Juneteenth celebration, as you mentioned. Now, look, J Jamal Charlo needed that last fight we talked about against Dervinchenko. He finally needed, because of the political and business and network divide at middleweight, it was hard for him to get those super big names. He needed a legitimate elite name to go in there against. And to his credit, like you said, he won that night. Even though his brother unified titles in the co-main and knocked out Rosario, Jamal Charlo won that night. His performance against Dervinchenko was just amazing. He thought, we all thought, that would lead to even bigger things now. But to Charlo's credit and to what he says, the guys who can bring the most spoke, smoke don't seem to want him at the moment. Golovkin, I love me some Triple G. He don't want Jamal Charlo, Luke. And it's sad to see that Golovkin is willing to enter into a two- a two-fight deal to unify against Ryota Murata, who nobody even cares or wants to see that fight. 
let alone wants to see a tune-up fight first to get to that fight. So that takes him off. Demetrius Andrade is is an unbeaten champion at middleweight, and he's so talented, Luke, but he's with the DAZN side with Eddie Hearn. There's so much risk-reward there. I know Charlo would take that fight, uh, but no one seems to be making it at the moment. So he's going to go in there against Matiel, who's not a mandatory, but he is a guy coming off that big knockout of Kirkland. And like you said, he can punch, he switches stances, he goes after it. This is not the fight Charlo wanted. It's maybe not even necessarily the fight that we wanted, but it's a homecoming opportunity for him. It's going to be exciting. And I'm hoping that the results of this, Luke, if Charlo wins, really puts him at a crossroads where he says, do I want to stay at 160 and just defend against whomever because I know that it's my best weight and maybe I have a chance to unify more belts and that? Or am I looking at the click, the, the, the clicking clock, right? I'm in my absolute prime. I think, what, what are the Charlos? 30, 31? Like, they're in their absolute physical and mental prime. The big money's at 68. That's where Canelo lies. That's where Benavidez lies. That's where Plant lies. These are names that are easier fights to make. It's just reality, right? They're in the PBC world. On that side of the bracket, Showtime and Fox, they're, they're easier fights to make. I think that's where he's going to end up having to go, Luke, because I know that the Charlo brothers in general, they want the smoke. They want to be legends in this game. They're not in here just to make money and sell Lions-only t-shirts. So this may not be the the toughest fight he could have matched up with, but that's not his fault. And don't sleep on Mattel. <laughs> Watch the highlights. His, he may have three pro losses, two are by split decision. Okay. The other one was against Jaime Munguia a few years back. Um, who's obviously a very good fighter on the other side of the political line as well from Charlo. But if Charlo goes in there and handles this guy, he's going to make a statement. And I think he should look back at, at the field at 160 and say, what can we do? Call up Al Hyman and say, what can we do? Can we fight Munguia? Can we get Andre? Can we get, you know, Triple G? If we can't, then maybe you got to go to 68, Luke, because that's where right now in his weight area the big fighters are. And wouldn't you love to see him against any of those names I mentioned? Plant, Benavidez, freaking Canelo, Alvarez. I'm telling you, Luke, when you say to me, hey, Canelo won again. He's a pound-for-pound king. That's great. But who's going to give this guy a freaking challenge? Outside of better be at 175 because of the size difference, Charlo's the guy, Luke. He's the freaking guy. I'm not here to tell you I'd favor him over Canelo, but I'm here to tell you he has a combined skill set that the other potential opponents for Canelo in and around that 168 area, although I really love me some Plant and Benavidez, Charlo has a combined skill set that the others don't. This is a challenge for Canelo. So if he passes the test against Montiel, I'm going to be picking up that fife and drum and banging it, saying, hey, Canelo, when you're done collecting all four belts there, if you can get Caleb Plant in the fall, let's do this Charlo thing, because that's a pay-per-view opponent for you, that's a fight people need to see, and that's a fight we don't know what the outcome's going to be. All right, so let me ask you a question, two-parter, very quickly. Why couldn't they make the Eubank fight? Uh, Eubank is tough. Tough to work with. I think he's a promotional free agent again. Um, he looked, was, he was, he was, he has a big mouth. That would be like a hell of a fight. He was the co-main for Charlo's victory over Hogan. Remember that was a Showtime yep. fight, and we it looked like we were going in that direction. Since then, Chris Eubank Jr. I believe jumped to the other side of the street on the uh, Dazone Eddie Heard side, I believe, and, okay. and is looking at other options. 
All right, so that's one. Second, maybe there's an argument to be made here. We were there for that Hogan fight, and he just utterly dominated Hogan, right? That was not a very difficult fight for him. But what did it set up? It set up the Derevianchenko fight. Is the argument for Charlo here not that Montiel is the toughest fighter he could have fought? Because he's probably not, although I guess we'll see Montiel probably has different designs. Still, on paper, that's not the, the information we can infer. But is the argument, BC, that if he goes in there and does what he did to Hogan or worse for Montiel, that that will propel him to something big the next time out. Like, this is a, I don't know if a necessary condition, but a good way to solidify a big name and a big occasion, beat the brakes off the last guy who you were supposed to beat the brakes off of. Uh, it could be. I hope it is. You know, I mean, I think there was maybe some hope that some of the big names at 154 were going to be ready to move up. Jarrett Hurd, as an example, but of course he just lost to Luis Arias, so that slows down that, and Hurd wanted to stay at 154 anyway. Um, I know Arislandi Lara moved up to 160, Luke, and, and picked up a secondary belt, but, you know, he shares the same trainer as Jamal Charlo, so there's an issue there. Um Again, I think he's going to run out of options at 160 unless they can somehow creatively make Jamal Charlo versus either Jaime Munguia or Demetrius Andrade. I think he's going to have to go to 68. And I don't think, you know, if you listen to him in interviews, he's not against it, Luke. He knows that, that again, that the clock's ticking. He wants to be great now. I want to, I want to see a match because that Derevinchenko fight was fun and it brought out the best of Jamal Charlo. Let's move along because we still have a few topics to get to very quickly, BC. I wonder what you make of this. Uh, Teofimo Lopez tests positive for COVID and not in sort of a, apparently he's not, he is symptomatic. He is not asymptomatic. I don't know how bad it is. Uh, He put out a statement yesterday, BC, on social media saying he just doesn't want to get anybody sick. He wants to make sure he's okay. So he's just going to call, not call the whole thing off, but for right now, it's not going to happen. Um, uh, Mike Coppinger of The Athletic tweeted that he had spoken to Ryan Kavanaugh, the head of Triller, that fight was supposed to be this weekend, and says that not only did he test positive with a PCR test and is symptomatic, they're looking to put it uh, back on August 14th, maybe with a stronger undercard. Your reaction? Yeah, there's a couple layers here. Number one, obviously, I hope Teofimo Lopez Jr. is okay. And if anybody, uh, you know, follows boxing a little bit closer and saw his interview, let's say, on Dan Canobio's uh, Inside CompuBox or Inside Boxing Live. Sorry, Dan, I always butcher your show's name. Uh, the CompuBox freaking show. Um, you know, Luke, Teo said that he has asthma and he was very wary of, of catching, uh, you know, COVID during the season and saying that, you know, he fears that it could be life-threatening. So, obviously, we want Teofimo to take any time he needs and, and get back. But this is connected, Luke, to a, a separate Teofimo Lopez Jr. story. On last weekend's Shakur Stevenson ESPN broadcast, they announced on the air that Teofimo Lopez and Top Rank has, have restructured his deal, which runs through 2023, and raised his minimum purchases. That's why he's fighting on trailer this time, right? There was the whole divide over the minimum amount they would pay him, which turned out to be for a mandatory fight in this one against George Cambosos. They have upped the minimums really high, Luke, and as a result of that, it appears that Teofimo is going to be a pay-per-view fighter more often than not moving forward. In fact, before this positive uh, COVID test, Bob Arum spoke publicly and said they wanted to bring him back October 2nd on ESPN pay-per-view. The target opponent was Lomachenko in a rematch, but obviously there's a couple other potential fights at stake. Luke, Josh Taylor being one of them, who just beat Jose Ramirez for all four belts. And Luke, did you also know that Devin Haney is a promotional and network free agent at the moment? I did not know that. When he beat Jorge Linares, and obviously if you're an MMA fan, you're going... I don't care about this business shit. Unfortunately, in boxing, if you're a fan, you got to care about this business shit. Haney beat Jorge Linares in the last fight of his deal with Eddie Hearn 
and DAZN. While Hearn did say publicly he's looking to, re to re-sign him and, and negotiate, God, Teofimo Lopez versus Devin Haney on ESPN pay-per-view, that also, Luke, is something to look forward to. So Teo's getting paid, top rank stepped up. If we have to see him on pay-per-view only, I'm hoping it's the big fights I just mentioned there, Luke. Would you agree, though, that the subhead of this whole story, separate from Teo's health, separate from all this, Triller has got to be like limping on its way out of the boxing business now. Yeah, I, I mean, just, they... I, I just, I'm, I'm with you, dude. It's like, let's, let's think about this. Your point. Who, when, when, when Teofimo Lopez beat Lomachenko, and then there was a, kind of that rift in public with Bob Arum, right? And then Triller came in and did the purse bid. Triller was coming off of, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I call it a successful event, but certainly they made a lot of attention. And they want to be this new entrant into the boxing space. And they paid like three times even what the next purse bid, or you know, at least two times what the, what the other purse bid was. It looked like Triller was going to come in here and be like, let's, let's just show you how things are going here. But let's think about this now. They lost Jake Paul for the carna carnival side, number one. Number two, they are going to get the Teofimo Lopez fight. That's fine. But he should widely win that one. I, I suspect that he will. And then after that, you don't have him anymore. You're building him up for this big event that now is being delayed even more, which I'm sure is costly and that sucks. I, I don't wish you know that on them, but I just don't understand what the long-term play is here. You're not signing any guys for the long-term. Bob Arum and ESPN, they are. They're making investments for not just event to event, but for the long haul. Dude, it seems to me like when Triller makes these cards and these calendars, they're like, who's available without ever thinking about any kind of long-term strategy? And you're beginning to see the fruits of that a little bit here where I don't, I don't really know where they go unless they just continue to get lucky and then overpay for things. Well, I think what really hurt them is they're, they're too... The, how do they disrupt the market separate from that Teo Perspid? It's by bringing back Mike Tyson and utilizing Jake Paul. And then you're like, okay, this is carnival boxing, but there's a market for it. There's a niche right. market. Well, they lost both of those guys. They, they, you know, they're on the outs with Tyson and Roy Jones over accusations of not paying up. And <laughs> so it's like they're going to retool this card August 14th. They want to add new fights to it. That's great. They're also paying Jim Lampley, who, you know, who we all love, the former HBO voice of boxing, a, a shit ton of money to come back here. Uh, it, it doesn't speak great to, to where they're going right now. You know, they're going to get Teofimo for one fight, and it's a pay-per-view, and it's a, it's a mandatory. But uh, interesting stuff, Luke. Uh, Teo, I will say know, this. Is I will say this. Teo versus Lomachenko 1 being on ESPN was a steal. It was yes. a steal. It was 100% steal. You knew if you got the rematch, you weren't going to get that one for free. And I'm okay with that, dude. For me, I got everything I wanted out of that. Not everything, but I got a lot of what I wanted out of that. And I'm excited to see what Lomachenko can do the second time. I'm glad he's on more stable footing. Dude, ESPN and Teofimo Lopez, along with Lomachenko and everything else they've got, that's a potent combination, man. They should lean into that the way that they have. I really think Bob is smart. The only thing I'll say is Bob is right, too. And, I, you know, I'll just put it out there once. I don't understand as a professional athlete you don't get vaccinated like it makes zero sense to me i know everyone in mma doesn't care about infectious diseases and doesn't believe in science oh they believe in a fucked up version of it that they is not in any way science whatever whatever his reasons are it sucks that it got delayed i hope he's okay i'm probably probably will be but uh these and, and chris paul being out today not getting vaccinated and fucking up his whole teams it's just i, I don't get it i don't get it but whatever that's thank just you. me. Thank you for that. Thank you for that editorial, Dr. Fauci. Appreciate yes, that. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I believe in people are like I believe in science. No, you don't. If you didn't get vaccinated, no, you don't. All right. BC. Speaking of uh, well, would you call it controversy? Would you call it weird? What would you call it? Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. 
had a face-off yesterday, but BC, I'm going to challenge that. I'm not going to call it a face-off. I think if you stand in front of another man, as long as these two did, six minutes or so, give or take, it goes from face-off to staring contest. Uh, You had Muffin Top Tyson Fury. You have Deontay (laughs) Wilder. I'm just here so I don't get fined. What the fuck was that? <laughs> well, technically, it was a press conference to announce, of course, their July 24th uh, pay-per-view, their third meeting. It'll be on. Uh, it'll be an ESPN and Fox co-joint pay-per-view. But not only did Deontay Wilder... Uh, oh, so let's just set the stage here, Luke. Deontay came out and gave about a 90-second opening statement in front of the microphone in which he just kind of basically said, like, I- I'm going to cut the head off of the snake here of Tyson Fury. Then he sat down. And he refused to answer any other questions from the moderator, uh, Christina Poncher of Top Rank. He had the headphones on and the music blasting. And all questions were picked up by his new trainer, Malik Scott, who's his buddy and former uh, you know, heavyweight boxer who actually fought Wilder and got knocked out. Yeah. Um, so that was weird to begin with. Then we go to this face-off. And you mentioned five minutes and 23 seconds until finally Wilder put his glasses back on and turned and walked away. Now, there's a, there's some interesting nuances here if you're a boxing fan. Luke, do you know about the famous hot tub story? I guess I don't. So when Tyson Fury fought Vladimir Klitschko in 2015 to upset him and win three or four heavyweight titles, you know, it was the, big, the biggest win of Fury's career, the big turning point, whatever, that, that made him uh, a huge star. He claimed that years earlier, him and Klitschko were in the same camp. They entered into the same hot tub randomly, and you know how you're only supposed to stay in a hot tub for like 15 to 20 minutes and then it gets like dangerous? Fury made a decision that he was going to win the mental battle and not get out of the hot tub whether he had to die in there. So Fury claims, and this came up, Luke, during a promotional interview where they sat across the table from each other and Vladimir acted like it didn't happen. He's like, I don't remember. I don't know what you're talking about. And Fury's like, no, it did happen. I sat in that in that hot tub for, you know, an hour and until you got up and left and I won. I beat, I won the fight right there by beating you. Fury kind of did the same thing, waiting for Wilder to walk away. Now, you may say it's all bullshit. It's all, it's all you know, pomp and circumstance. That's fine. But, Luke, what did I say after the second Wilder-Fury fight when Wilder just fell apart, was never in that fight, got stopped, and made a million excuses? I said, you know what? We can't sleep, of course, on his sick one-punch power. What if he came into a third fight, which was contractually obligated, and, and you're seeing that they activated it, and just said, screw it? I'm going in there to knock this guy out. I'm not looking to go 12. I'm not looking to counterpunch, which we typically, to be honest, Wilder's a counterpuncher. He's, that's, that's who he is, right? I'm, go, I'm attacking like the Bermain Stavern rematch from 2017. I'm going in there to F this guy up. Luke, I am getting those feels right now. That was a calculated decision to not speak during the press conference. I know Fury said that's going to hurt the promotion, blah, blah, blah. I'm seeing a guy who is focused on blood, guts, violence, and death right now. I'm not, no one's paying me to sell you this fight. But I'm telling you, if Wilder's coming into this third fight, only thinking about going in there and knocking this man out, we are going to see some hellacious fireworks, Luke. This is yeah, going know, to be must-see heavyweight TV. I have to tell you, I don't think that's the wrong approach. I mean, I don't know if it's a winning approach to go in there just letting it all hang out and just, I'm not going to say being completely reckless and wild, but really hunting the KO in a matter of fact, not, not even worried about this going the distance. I, I actually think that's his best way because, listen, he is whatever, 30-plus years old at this point. 
He's not going to learn how to outbox Fury. It's just not going to happen. And if Fury takes the game plan, as you well know, BC, from the second fight, he's not really going to, there's, there's no room in that, in that particular way for, uh, for Wilder to take his time. Like, for example, Luis Ortiz fought Wilder in the rematch in a way where Wilder actually could take his time. And he did. And he delivered the one-two right down the middle and sat uh, uh, Ortiz down. And that was all she wrote. Fury's not going to do that. So if he's not going to do that, and if he's not going to, you're not really going to be able to outbox him, what other choice do you really have? Just go in there and fucking fall on your sword if you have to. But here's the good side. You might fall on your sword. In fact, chances are you are going to fall on your sword. But there is also a chance, much better than if you had employed the other game plan, where you might land on this fucking guy with your absolute kryptonite, literally historically good uh, and impressive KO power in the heavyweight division. BC, I got to tell you, I don't think he's going to win that contest, but I like what he's doing here a fuck ton more than I did in the rematch. Yeah, but our producer Mikey's telling me that hot tub story I was talking about was a sauna. Sauna, not a hot tub, but same same premise, same purpose right there. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And anyone saying, well, if Wilder's not a boxer, what's the difference in what you're saying? Well, the difference is he waits for you to make a mistake. Most of Wilder's knockouts come later in a fight because he kind of waits for his opponent to tire, let the guard down just a little, and, and then let's pop. give yep. Wilder credit. He, he always has great stamina. You know, he always hangs in there and gets you out of there. You can't do that against Fury, who's too good of a boxer and also was much more offensive in the second fight. And here's one more thing that may get you super excited about the third fight being a, a combustible fireworks affair. Luke, you know Big John Fury, Tyson Fury's dad? Mm-hmm. He His opinion matters, right? He's not Tyson's trainer or anything, but... His opinion always seems to matter. He has been saying since day one that he doesn't want Tyson slimming up and trying to outbox Wilder, that Tyson needs to keep the weight on and fight Wilder. Well, I don't know if you saw those comments, and you certainly saw the muffin top. Uh, Fury's focus is to come in over three bills for this one in an effort to add more punching power to try to go in there and knock Wilder out. Do you think that's the best strategy for Fury because I think the second fight's more of an aberration than anything. I think that was just, like, Wilder was just not there, right? No. Fury walked him down, got him out of there. Yep. But, like, if, if Wilder's going to be as dangerous as ever, do you need to knock out the knockout puncher? Or do you need to spend 12 rounds being nervous avoiding it? No. You got to take it. Dude, this is a, listen. This is, uh, you brawl a boxer, you box a brawler. So, in many ways, again... The idea of Fury going in there and just hunting the KO, this is not in any way even close to a guarantee of success. But what it is is just a recognition of, listen, you've got a bunch of bad options. You've got a bunch of bad options. You have to fight Tyson Fury, and if you try and slow play it, he's going to eat you alive. If you try and do what you did in the first fight, he's going to eat you alive. It's just not going to go well for you. But if you go out there and kind of embrace what makes you what you are, which is tall, rangy, huge power in the right hand, and you get in front of Tyson Fury and you rough him up along the ropes, obviously easier said than done, and you're just swinging fucking wild shots that he has to respect. He's got to get out of the way of him. He's got to block him. He's got to do something, right? Slipping and countering, maybe, but that's a, that's a tough fight to or a tough punch to just try and slip and counter. That's your best chance. And in fact, it's kind of an interesting way of going about it, right? Take Fury out of his game. Fury is the polished boxer. He's the one who's got good footwork. He's got good head movement. Just don't try and play that game with him. It's like if someone was trying to advise one of us 
to go up against the boxer. What are you going to do? We're going to fucking box the guy? No, you're not. Just go in there and just try your best. You're probably going to lose, but the best thing you can do is create chaos, create a sense of defensiveness among Fury. Get him to cover up just a little bit. And with, if you've got the kind of power that Deontay Wilder has, where you can go to the body, obviously, as well as the head, you never know. You never know. Again, these are not things that are like guarantees in life. But if if your plan is, this is my last chance to fight Tyson Fury in all likelihood, maybe save the career as a long shot, BC. But I would say something like, you know, repair a lot. I mean, dude, he did a lot of damage to his reputation in that loss. Yes. It wasn't just how bad he lost. All the fucking shit that came after it was really bad for his brand. If you go in there and fall on your sword, or you knock him out, and you, but you tried your best to use your power, I honestly think that that could do wonders for him. And of course, if he wins, it's transformative. Could you imagine the chaos that this would create in the heavyweight division if Wilder knocked Fury out? Not oh only would it extend their fight series probably to a fourth fight eventually. I mean, it, it would. It would. You could argue it'd be the best thing that could happen to this heavyweight era. This heavyweight era, coming off of the Klitschko brothers' long, dominant, but boring run, you have major players that are fun, right? You've got Wilder, Fury, Joshua, Ruiz, Ortiz. I mean, you've got some fun stuff, Usyk, going on. If Wilder put himself back in there in a major way by by handing Tyson Fury his first loss, I mean, it'd be the matchups that would come out of it, the chaos would be crazy. Final point on this, Luke. There are some people saying that Wilder's refusal to answer any questions was probably out of some kind of embarrassment for the way he handled loss in the rematch and all the accusations, accusations he made of cheating and all that. And the best way to not address that is to not talk. Do you agree yep. with that? 100%. Dude, what are you going to say about why you let Mark Breland go without sounding crazy? <laughs> what are you going to say? You accuse yeah. the guy of poisoning you. You know, how how do you go back after that except to say, you know, I was just mad and I don't feel that way anymore. Okay, if you want to say that, you could. But it looks to me like he still feels that way and he knows it's fucking crazy, man. He knows that he doesn't want to face down the firing squad of a million questions. And also, that was a bit of a Rousey vibe. Now, he didn't do the Rousey thing where I literally can't even do any media participation. He had a little rhymed thing where he went up to the mic, as you indicated, and he kind of did a chill sonning bit, and then he put the headphones on, he did the face-off. All right, you don't want to talk to the media, you don't have to, that's fine. But I, I don't know what choice he was left with. He bought, he painted himself into a corner of saying outrageous shit, and not just saying it, doing outrageous shit, and he doesn't want to answer for it. Okay, you don't have to answer for it, but, uh, you know, putting on the headphones is probably the right idea, I would say. Dude, round one of this fight is going to be some epic shit. I can't wait. I the can't the wait. walkouts, I know, dude. Just just the walkouts are going to be bananas. Even all you MMA fans are like, okay, guys, it's enough boxing for this week. No, you're going to care on July 24th. Seriously, that's going to be some fun shit. All right, last but not least, topic number seven. We have fights coming up this weekend. Number one, Korean Zombie taking on Dan Ige. Card itself is okay, not great, uh, but that fight is amazing. Dan Ige has been transformed with his time with Eric Nixick over at Extreme Couture. He's just an amazing talent at this point, uh, but is still looking to really transcend to the very top of that division. He's still looking for that opportunity, and Korean Zombie just laid an egg against Brian Ortega, but of course, Brian Ortega was possessed, BC. This is a big stakes fight. These guys are trying, in the case of Zombie, to stay there, but in the case of Ige, to really move into that. This has got a little bit, not quite, it's not quite... Um, uh, Kiesa versus Luke, it's because one guy was a little bit more towards the top of the division previously, but it's got a little bit of that. This is where this is where the rubber meets the road for that division. 
Yeah, Gigues won seven of eight. Yes, he had that loss to Calvin Cater in 2020, which, you know, seemed to be a sort of heat check moment for him, but he came back with a knockout of Gavin Tucker. Uh, you know, his aggression, Luke, it seems like he's more aggressive than he is great, right? It's like he wills himself to a higher level, and it is fun to watch fighters like that. But, you know, Korean Zombie has a lot of answers to give us here because uh, – I mean, that was, a, that was a humbling loss against uh, Ortega just as much as it was a humbling loss when he seemed to be dominating uh, Yair Rodriguez down the stretch there and then lost in the most, you know, sort of crazy, bizarre way as possible. Um, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to this one, big time. But the card, the card is uh, the card's not, it's not It's not great. It's not great. Uh, all right, this is a big one. Real quickly, BC, over on ESPN, you've been touting this guy. And again, dude, your boxing recommendations have been hitting 100% for me. I've learned so much just from what you had to say there. So let's go back to it. The monster is back himself. Naoya Inouye takes on a gentleman I do not know, but I'm sure you're going to tell us. Michael Das Marinas. What, what can we learn about this one? Yeah, you know, this is this is not like a, a really shitty mandatory type fight, but it's also not a great one. It, it's a chance to see Inouye back. He bounced back nicely from that win over Nonito Donaire, but the one where he broke his eye socket and was out for 17 months. He came back, uh, you know, last year and looked great again. Look, Inouye, I have him number two pound for pound in the world in boxing. I mean, the guy's freaking incredible. If you don't know anything about him, he's one of those guys who did a Lomachenko type thing where he wanted all the smoke early in his career, fought for a title in something like his sixth or seventh profile, moved up in weight and won a title in a second division in like his eighth fight, moved up in weight a third time and won another title, and each time he's just knocking fools the hell out. He's the perfect balance of like sick knockout power regardless of weight, but he's very technical, he's explosive, he's kind of got this like boy band leader vibe going Luke he's he's a he's a bubbly personality when 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 you hear the translated comments he's a potential breakout star him signing with top rank and ESPN was a big deal and and they're certainly giving him the platform to get noticed and recognized this fight Daz Marinas can fight this will be this will be a good one but Onuwe should win Luke I'm wondering if it does set up that Donaire rematch coming off of that win on Showtime uh, to win the title from Nordino Bali and, and sort of continue to resurrect himself late in his late 30s there's some fun business to make there uh, at 118 no question about it so Onuwe's back that's fun but Luke I'm not going to sit here and lie to you, okay? Okay? I, I, I do like shit too much, right? I mm -hmm. like, you know, that's why my liver is, is, a, is the wrong shade of Trashed. color, right? That's why there's concerns of my health, all right? I, I like the stuff I shouldn't like. I kind of really like this Chavez Jr. Anderson. You are, so, you, you fuck I, you. You talk, I, I to fuck you. You talk more shit about JCC Jr. than anybody I know, except maybe know, his own dad. But, but this is you like interesting this theater. This is. Why? So it's a it's it's like a fight TV pay per view or whatever. And I think the main event might be uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Senior in an exhibition against uh, Hector Camacho Junior. Luke, that doesn't move me at all. This fight moves me. So it's it's you know old as balls. Anderson Silva cashing a check and moving into boxing, but against a still like age wise like not. Actually, completely over the hill, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Now, performance-wise, <laughs> Chavez Jr. has been washed for a long time because no matter the shape he gets in, Luke, he tends to find a way to either lose or ask out of fight after fight after fight and either fake an injury or just not try. And basically, Chavez Jr. has disrespected boxing so long, Luke, that he's kind of a clown. I actually wonder if this could be an oddly competitive fight. 
Uh, Dude, what what, what kind Silva, of shape? Do you, what kind of shape do you think Junior comes in? I mean, I think he, you know, he's not going to be fat. I think he comes in with abs. But the whole thing is, you never know if there's how much want is still in there. Chavez is saying, by the way, that this fight, if he beats Anderson Silva, will get him the Canelo rematch. Bro, you're never oh, yeah. getting Canelo again. Okay, yeah. you actually got lucky that they propped you up to give you Canelo, and then you didn't try for 12 rounds, and you're lucky Canelo didn't send you to the dark side of hell. But. uh Luke, this fight is so clown carnival enough. Because that's the look, this is the deal at the end of the day. Why did BC get mad about Logan versus Mayweather? Because I don't think it was competitive enough. They didn't go for it. Logan was happy to just box his way to a finish, and Floyd was happy to not have anything bad happen and cash his check. The only way this bubble is going to last is if the fights are competitive and people go after it. If Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley on Showtime pay-per-view each go after the knockout, you will be freaking entertained whether that's shit that's good for your diet or not as a combat sports fan. I have a feeling, Luke, whether it ends with a parachute flying into the middle of the ring or Chavez Jr. quitting or either guy getting KO'd, you're telling me you don't have a carnival part of you that wants to see what this shit looks like? It's weird enough that... I just don't know what it's going to look like. I'll catch the result on Instagram. I don't care. I will say this. Shouts to Danny Segura, who is in uh, Mexico. Or no, Guadalajara, I think is where the fight is taking place. And uh, he interviewed Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., the fucking legend, and asked him about Brandon Moreno, your new UFC champ, first ever Mexican-born UFC champ. And he had high praise for him. He had a lot of really nice things to say. Dude, getting the blessing from the patron saint of Mexican boxing, JCC Sr. himself. Dude, they don't come blessing. Their blessings don't come bigger than that. So, shouts to Danny Look, for getting that, upset? and shouts to the senior for giving him some respect. Yeah, shout out to Danny Segura. Love that guy. He's working. He's doing shit out there, okay? Love that guy. Luke, would you be upset if I told you the truth that tomorrow I have went, gone out of my way to procure morning combat interviews with Chavez Sr., Jr., <laughs> and Andy Silva for this look? The Silva one... The Silva one, I'll give you a pass on. I think that's okay. You know, let's let's catch up with Andy. Let's see how he's doing. JCC Jr., you are pathetic. You're pathetic, BC. Okay, I want to see that, how this. That, you're gonna you're, you're gonna exacerbate your fatty liver just from doing that interview. I, I, I don't I don't know Probably. if that's science, but it feels that way. I should do the interview shirtless just to just to mix it up. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, by the way, Danny's reporting indicates that like apparently the Mexican fans are in love with Anderson Silva, which I can believe too. Like they don't get a lot of those guys down there very often. So, um, real There's fun. Really Last- not, I mean, has there ever been a reason to hate Anderson Silva except for the fact that he might have tried to indecent proposal me that time? Except for that fact, Luke. I thought that his Thai sex medicine uh, claim for the commission was very funny. I thought we had a good laugh at that. Remember that one? The blue yeah, tie sex yeah, medicine? Yeah. Which, by the way, I if there's a real one. blue tie sex medicine, I want to just try it and go to the gym and see what happens. Maybe fun things. I don't know. Uh, by all the right. way, after I did that interview with Andy, in which he might have asked me to bring my wife to the rolling session at his <laughs> gym, um, he sent me, his people sent me hair gel and all these really tight clothes in the mail, which was nice to them, like yeah. like dress shirts and like like really expensive T-shirts with like bedazzled designs on it. The gel was great. I've been using it for the past two years, Luke. I lost it to TSA in the airport at Puerto Rico when I went oh. to interview Logan Paul. Do you know when you try to sneak like a full thing and sometimes they don't catch you? And I'm like, dude, that's my hair gel, bro. And they're like, sorry, you got to go back and check it. And you're like, oh, God. 
So know? wait, do you if you don't wear that bedazzled rash guard or whatever the fuck it is on the show when you interview him, you're dead to me. Do you still have that? Bro, it was like a, he sent me like a medium. I can't fit into that shit. <laughs> All the more reason to try and actually put it on. That's the best part. That'll be good for the bit. BC, That's last true. but not least, one, one of my favorite upcoming, well, I don't even call him up and coming at this point, but you know, uh, a younger guy, but still established at this point, on Da Zone, worst name ever, Jaime Munguia <laughs> is back against Camille Cesara Meta. What should we know about this matchup? Is it a, is it a setup for the power punching Munguia? Uh, yeah, so it was supposed to be a better fight and it fell apart. So they got Zermeta, uh, la Camille Zermeta last minute. He's the guy who Triple G stayed busy against last time and ended up knocking out. I don't have great expectations. I love seeing Jaime Munguia fight, so I'll tune in and check it out. But, you know, to the point here, Let's make Munguia in some fun fights. If you're DAZN and you have him and Demetrius Andrade under under contract there, let's put them together. Styles make fights in that one. They couldn't put Munguia against Triple G, even though they're both in the DAZN banner. Um, if not, can we get him to fight Jamal Charlo? I mean, can we do something here? Okay, please, please. Because Munguia's fun. He goes after it, Luke. He has no defense. He walks headfirst into oncoming traffic. So, uh, yeah, that's it. It's just very boxing that on the same weekend, you've got Charlo and Munguia, who should probably be fighting each other. And True. they're both fighting people that they probably should not, you know, but what are you going to do? Boxing. Uh, it is what it is. Okay. Um, that's it for the news topics, BC. But we do have fan submissions. Good, sir. Take it away. Yeah, we do. Morningcombat at gmail.com, as Luke mentioned earlier, is your Wednesday fan submission and Friday, dead wrong home to send in your shit. Thank you so much. We always welcome your pictures, your artwork, all that good shit. It's that time again. We've got mail. All right, let's see how this goes. All right, Anthony W has two of them, Luke. First one, love the show, especially the three-day-a-week format. From flyover Minnesota looking washed after too much Culver's, my liver and gallbladder is on the same path as you guys. <laughs> is this the right one here? No, this is the second one. Sorry. Anthony W. says, hey, Big Beige, my wife is wondering when she can order her Donk Force t-shirt. Summer doesn't last long up here in Minnesota. Thank you. Yeah, so, it's going to it's going to be it might be next summer. <laughs> yeah. Can we blow up that pick again here? So that's Anthony W. Luke, he looks pretty good in a in a, in a schmedium, right? Yeah, he's in. Uh, he is not one of our out of shape viewers. He is definitely a man who monitors his diet. I would I would recommend a haircut unless he's in a band. If he is, then that works. But look, he I yeah. Mean, that's but if you have to uh, BC, but if you have to ascend the capital steps in January, you know, <laughs> it's nice to that's have. That's a fair the, point. The, I mean, would you would you go as far as saying that that he's got a sneaky addition in that photo? You know, I don't really comment on things like that, but I'll let you do it. Okay, okay, I would, I would. But uh, do we have the first one, Manich, on the list here? No? With the with the Minnesota flyover? What, what the hell are we talking about here? All right. Let's there's, just go through and see what we have. Oh, okay, there he is again. Okay, there he is again. So they're, they're frolicking in the woods in their state of Minnesota, Luke. Well done there, Anthony, okay? Also, I, I wearing the American away. flag like that is a violation of the flag code, but, you know, I, that's oh, just me thinking get out, out loud. Get out of here there. That's Luke. just me thinking okay. out loud. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Paul M. is next. He's got four photos for us. He says, hey, Morning Combat crew. Wow. I just want to start by saying I love your show. It is indeed the best thing of all of combat sports media. My fiance and I just took a vacation to Colorado, and I made sure I repped my MK hat everywhere I went, from the top of the mountains to the baseball arena to catch game five of the avalanche to even Coors Field to watch the Rockies. 
Again, you guys are the best. Keep doing what you're doing. Hey, how about this guy, Luke? Yeah, this guy rocks, and so does Colorado, man. I love Colorado. It's oh, such so a fantastic bad. place. My sister lives outside of Boulder, Luke. It's like a spiritual experience looking up at those mountains. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Uh, so shouts to this fella for living his best life. Thank you, Paul. Hey, Chuck Mindenhall is from Colorado. Exactly. Point, point proven. Yeah. Good, 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 good stuff, Paul. Thank you for wearing our shit. Gorilla God slides in. He says, I love the show, BC. And Luke blocked me for this tweet. It was meant to be targeted at myself, not Luke. Keep up the great work and hope you guys take over. Love the show. We are taking over, just so you know. Luke, let's look at this, okay? Yeah. Um, Gorilla God is Cassine Garber. He says, Kassine coming from Garber, a fat yes. guy who doesn't know shit about fuck, think he should have been able to finish that fight quicker. And then somebody clowned him and said, excellent insight. So, Luke, he's claiming mm -hmm. that you thought he was calling you a fat fuck and you mm -hmm. blocked him. Mm -hmm. But really, he was self-referentialing himself. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't put a lot of thought into blocks. I just see someone being a prick and I just, you know, send them on their way usually. Um, well, considering all right, I'll consider. I'll, cons God I'll consider. Because he wrote in. What, uh, blow up the tweet one more time. Blow up the tweet one more time so I can see. Gorilla God with a zero. All right, I'll, I'll unblock him right now. How oh, hey, how about this for Cassine Garber? I love it. He took the proper channels. He showed you respect. You know what the best thing he should do is get unblocked and then go right back at you and call you a fat fuck again. <laughs> yes. That would be fantastic. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. <laughs> All right, we got a submission from Mr. Jack. He says, hi there, guys. Jack from Melbourne. Melbourne, excuse me. Love seeing my last couple of submissions on the show. I put a little more effort into this one. Hope you like it. Keep up the good work. We out. Can we blow this meme up? You have terrible form. Do you even have a spine? Fucking prawn. Prawn is, I guess, a shrimp. Yeah, I don't like bench press rules for uh, powerlifting. Uh, you know, you didn't ask, but let me give you... <laughs> <laughs> Look, do you have any tip for her? Uh, a big tip, in fact? Just keep yeah. doing what you're doing, honey. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a whole lot to add. Uh, it seems like she's doing all right. All right, Mr. Jack, thank you. Our final one of the week, Luke, from Muhammer N. Muhammer's all over our show. He says, Dear BC, I couldn't believe my eyes the other day in the gym when I witnessed that Mr. Strikes Landed and Strikes Absorbed are the most important MMA metrics. Luke <laughs> Thomas himself was indeed wearing workout gloves. Don't believe me? I have a video to prove. BS, you rock with the B or BC, PS. You rock with the BDE. Luke, this is incredible. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, take me and BC off the screen. Let me just see this fucker here in the middle. Who is this? I mean, Luke, looks... all you ever want from science is proof. <laughs> I got proof right here that you wear workout Dude, gloves. Who is this guy? That is fucking amazing. <laughs> is that your brother, Luke? No, my brother doesn't have a beard. I got to say, though. Wow, man. Like, dude, here's what's crazy about that. If you look at the beard, his white parts on the beard, like right here, they start in almost the exact same place. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Also, but this guy's, this guy's a total bitch. He's sitting on your own towel like a fucking moron. You got one plate on here, and you got your hands on the fucking thing, plus... You got gloves on? This guy's a hoe. But still. Look at the face. He looks like he's dropping a deuce in that face, Luke, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my man, it's like I wouldn't be on the calf machine if I was you. I'd be doing something else. But 
Uh, that I gotta say, dude, holy fucking shit! That is um, alarming. Spider Man meme, look. It's like looking in the mirror, right? Right. This one. Yeah, I bet that guy spends hundred dollars on haircuts too. Wow. Thank you, Moo Hammer. We're a big fan of you. Love you. That uh, is shout out to funny. Bill and Jen as well. By the way, update, update. I have unblocked Cassine Garber. I've unblocked. Hey, Gorilla shout out God. to Gorilla God. All right, he did the right thing. Thank you very much. I was gonna say shout out to Bill and Jen. They are they are as well touring still the uh, the great. Uh, Rocky Mountain area, all the national parks. Love their dogs as well. Uh, Luke, those are the fan submissions of the week. Um, that's it, bro. That's it. There you have it. There you have it. Uh, all right, BC. What do we have on deck for the rest of the week? We have what? We have live chat tomorrow. We have Friday show. Friday show is going to be a little bit, not, I won't say a little bit different. We're going to add in a fun little new element, we hope. Fingers crossed. And um, yeah, but no post fight show this weekend, right? Yeah, so. no Wednesday wheel today, but uh, I have a room. I have a feeling there's a rumor going around that it may come back next week, Luke, and we may we may be in the same place. I don't, I don't we, know. I, don't, I, I, I hear a rumor that it's possible we will be in the same place for portions of next week. So if we are, okay, maybe you can spin that wheel, bro. All right. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? If I'm in person with you, it's I think it's a rule. You got to spin the wheel. It's just it's just okay. how it goes. So. I will do that. Uh, all right. I want to remind everyone, if you want to follow us on social, there you go. Uh, Morning Combat name stays the same everywhere, but me and BC have slightly different names between Twitter and uh, f- uh, Instagram. Uh, if you want to email the show for Dead Wrong or fan submissions like today, very simple. Morningcombat at gmail.com. That's the place to reach the show. If you want to try Showtime to catch some of the fights this weekend or for Bellator or for whatever, go to Showtime.com. 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go to something else with your life. And, uh, yeah, live chat tomorrow, another show on Friday. It stays rocking and rolling, BC. Oh, what interviews do you have coming out? One more time. Uh, check out Randy Couture and myself. It'll be up later today, uh, setting the stage for PFL, talking labor, fighters, unions, all that great stuff. Muhammad Ali Act, always always great to catch up with Captain America there. Uh, later this week, we'll have uh, a quick little turnarounds with Anderson Silva, the Chavez Sr. and Jr., so should be fun shit shows just the same. Uh, the bonuses on your YouTube.com slash Morning Combat channel, always worth your while, so please subscribe. Luke's live chat every Thursday. Uh, I'd like to see Brosected make a giant comeback, Luke, okay? There's a rumor that it might. There's a rumor that it might. So we'll see. Okay. All right, man. Good work today. I will talk to you for the with the audience, I should say, on Friday. That's it for us. So thanks to Showtime. Thanks to Malka. Thanks to CBS Sports. Thanks to Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. Thanks to all of you for watching. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.